our school. So some of you might be interested in where we're going and if this school is actually on. And so we have filed all of our paperwork with the state of Florida. We've registered the school as a 501c3. We've gotten all of our documents back on that. And we've also registered the school with the Department of Education. And we've been approved and we got our school code last week. So yes. Yes. That is no small feat, I might add. And so we have uh, all of our corporate docs, our legal docs. So legally, we're established. We're right now in the process of locating property. So our two biggest, our next two biggest hurdles are a facility that works for our usage and that is adequate for the space and the intent that we want to do. So we need favor. We've been talking to a few people and uh, trying to work something out. So we're in the process of that. And then the second side, the second biggest hurdle would be continually to raise the money. So we're launching this school with a budget of $100,000. We've raised about half that. And so we're in the mix on that. And I haven't really been focused too much on the fundraising as much as we've been focused on the structure and making the thing viable before we even start. So, um, but now we're going to kind of pivot and go into that a little bit more. So you'll be hearing, and if you haven't prayed about it, you should pray about it. You should consider, you should give sacrificially into this work. If you are a leader here, this is part of your commitment to the vision of this church. And this, if you, you know, there's lots of things that you can invest in, but this investment will change, transform lives within a generation because we're not just going to do something ordinary. Say it. We're not doing the ordinary. Uh-uh. We're doing the extraordinary. Because the extraordinary, come on, help me out. Because the extraordinary, that's right, is where the action is. That's right. And we want to be where the action is. So we want to transform lives. Transformed people transform cities. Transformed people transform culture. And we want to transform a generation of children. And we want to unleash them into a generation to transform it in our time. So do you believe me? Yes? yes? Okay. It's the vision of heaven. It totally is. So we're talking about perspectives. A perspective just by way of review is paradigms or patterns in which we operate. The word paradigm means pattern, essentially para with, dime is vit or diadem or crown, a crowning parallel or a way that we see, right? So it's a way that we see or a pattern by which we operate. And uh, my son and I were talking on the way to church this morning, which is always awesome. And I was talking to him about changing and increasing your ability to see. Because what limits our life more than anything is our limitations of our vision. The limitations by which we see ourselves, the limitations by which we see the Lord, and the limitations by which we see life itself. You cannot go past your, your ability to see. God cannot speak to you beyond your ability to see. He only speaks to you in the context to which you are willing to give yourself. If you're willing to see broader, he will show you broader. But so many people are locked in paradigms. They're locked in the way that they think or believe it should be, or they're locked in their own understanding. And the Lord cannot overcome that until the idol of your intellect falls. Intellectual idolatry. Ever learning, never coming to the knowledge of truth, never seeing things from the perspectives of heaven, never doing that. If we want a God encounter and we want to see God do something in our generation that he's never done before or something that he's done in previous generations and we want to see it revived, if you will, then we have to learn to see differently. We have to learn to see differently. It will never change if you don't see it. And you've got to be willing to expand your vision. You've got to be willing to get uncomfortable even in your perspectives. You have to be. It's a lens or a grid. What is required for transformation? So it's a year of transformation, 2017. 
transformation across forms. It literally means from one form to another. Transformation is not the renewal of something old, but the regeneration of something completely new. It's coming into a completely new form. That's what it means to be transformed. I don't need the old renewed. I need a new form. I want to be transformed from glory to glory. I want to go from one state to the next state to the next state, ever increasing until I come to the fullness of Christ. That's what I want, and that's what you should want too. We should never settle for where we've been. We should never settle for where we are. We should want to go higher. We should want to go further. It requires, okay, say this with me because this is important. Okay, American, in America, we like everything comfortable, right? And God's discomfort is never necessary. Most of the discomfort we feel as Christians transformatively is internally and emotionally. God changes us and it becomes uncomfortable for us. And again, Elias and I were talking on the way and I told them most people never change because they don't like uncomfortability. They don't want to feel uncomfortable ever. Jesus isn't interested in your comfort as much as he is your character. So he's not you know, laying out a bed of roses for you and just trying to puff your pillow up and give you a little warm nappy cup blanket and keep you safe and warm. He's out to transform you and he throws you. He's an eagle, right? One of the things, one of the images of Jesus is an eagle and he broods over his nest and an, and an eagle drives their young forward, drives their young literally out of the nest to teach them how to fly. This is what he does with us. We have to be willing to take on some uncomfortable things and adapt ourselves into some uncomfortable positions. And when I say uncomfortable, there are ways that we have seen that we must see differently. We have to see things differently. If we don't, nothing changes. Nothing does. So what's the key? What's required for transformation? I'm glad you asked, because the Bible tells you. Right, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? Change your perspective. Change the way that you think. The conformity is in this world. You hear me tell you this all the time because it's key. The world is a cosmos. The world is a system of thinking. And the Bible is saying don't conform yourself into a worldly system of thinking. It's not a place. It's not about people who smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do. It's not about that. It's not about, oh my gosh, you know, it's not about, it's not a physical place where there's things going on. It's an attitude. And so when the Bible is telling us that you're in the world, but you're not of it, it's telling you you're in a system of thinking, but you are not of that system of thinking. You're not. You're transformed. You think differently. You see differently. The Christian is to think from heaven to earth. The Christian is to see as God sees and do as God would have us to do. We're to live with the mind of Christ. And that requires some training. That requires some discipline. That requires some willingness to actually press into that and grow and understand what that means. So it tells us not to be conformed, but transformed. And how do we know the will of God? I'm going to tell you, you will never know the will of God without transforming your mind by the way that you think. You won't know it. How do you know that? Because that's what the Bible says right here. The will of God is made known through the transformed mind. Until you transform the way that you think, the will of God will not be fully made known to you. You'll live, in, you'll live in preschool. When you begin to see and think and understand and believe as heaven bees, then all of a sudden God can get you on his vision because you're actually transforming yourself to think higher. You're actually transforming yourself to see higher. 
You see how God cannot relate to us? He can relate to us only by our limit. He is limited not by himself. He's limited by you. Well, God can do anything he wants. Yes, he can do anything he wants. But he can only do so much with you according to the willingness by which you give yourself. It's true. He'll do what he will accomplish his meta plan. He will accomplish what it is that he has set forth to do. But what he will do in your life requires your partnership. If you won't partner, it's not going to happen. It just isn't. You have to partner with what he's doing. He does all the heavy lifting. He gives you his spirit. He enables you by his spirit to do it. But you have to do it. And one of the biggest problems is willingness. Willingness. Oh, my gosh, man. We get so locked in our perspectives. It's, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes. When people don't want to change, they refuse to change the way that they think. They refuse. I'm this way. I think this way. This is who I am. I believe God's like this. I believe God's like that. Fare thee well. Good luck with that. Stay behind to the asses. Abraham said to the men. That's what he said. Sherry's like, you just like quoting that verse. I'm like, I do. <laughs> Abraham said, stay behind with the asses. The lad and I go yonder to worship. King James Version. We're going to the mountain. We're going to the high places. You can't go with us because your perspective does not enable you to go through that atmosphere. Just a thought. Few make it higher. Few are willing to go to the mountain. Many like the valley. Comfort. We don't like uncomfortability. You got one life, people. One life. You got one shot. You don't get a rewind. You get one. Right? And I would rather be discomforted in order to achieve what he wants no matter what it costs me, in order that when I stand before him, I don't stand before him in a cowardly place. I pressed in, Lord. I did my best. I used what you gave me. I threw it forward. I didn't bury it in the backyard. I didn't take, well, everybody else is doing it. Well, that's not what he's interested in. It's not what he's interested in. We have to adjust our perspective. Seeing as heaven sees. The will of God will be made known to you when you learn to see higher. The will of God will be made known to you when your perspective isn't aligned with heaven. It's just truth. Serve, see as he and sees, adjust your language and you'll say it with me. I need to, I need to see, see as heaven sees and I need to adjust my lifestyle and my language accordingly. Right? Jesus is calling us into a supernatural lifestyle, a way of living. It is a lifestyle. It is a relational lifestyle that affects every arena of your life. Religion sees you from your past to your present. You're a sinner. You're saved by grace. You're waiting for heaven. That's their vision of the future for you mostly. Just holding on till Jesus comes. Hunkering down till the rapture. Waiting for the rapture. So what are you doing in this life? Nothing. I'm saved. I was a sinner. I'm saved now. And now I'm just occupying until Jesus splits the sky and comes and takes us. That's the predominant view of the evangelical church. If they actually even believe in a rapture, which the rapture is true. But they, if they believe that at all. The kingdom doesn't see you in light of your past to your present. The kingdom sees you in, in terms of your now and your future. And not your future in the sweet by and by. The kingdom sees you in light of your perspective and your identity of who you are in Christ. Who you are in him. 140 times in the New Testament it uses the phrase in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. And what it means is it, mean, it literally means like a woman, a child inside of a womb or inside of a mother. There's someone else living in there. You're living inside of someone else. We are in Christ. 
That's how it references us. And so the kingdom sees us from who we are in Christ and who we're called to be. Jesus, this is really mind-blowing, and we're just going to blow this one up because it's just what I like to do, right? And um, I don't know. I've always, I always like revolution. You guys like revolution? Yes. Right. I love revolution. So the revolution is this. Jesus isn't dealing with your sin. Crickets, crickets, crickets. He's dealing with your righteousness. You're dead to sin. Sin's been dealt with. Cross has been, he died on the cross. He's not dealing with your sin. If you're a believer, he's not dealing with you in relationship to your sin. He's dealing with you in relationship to your identity, and he's conforming you into the image of your identity. So when the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, he's not pointing out sin. Ah, R-rated movie, Kevin. I saw you and it was an R-rated movie and it wasn't about Jesus. You better repent. I saw you. I, you, were, you, were, you weren't smoking that cigarette, but I saw you. You were breathing in the fumes. I saw you. He's not dealing with you. God is not sin conscious. He's righteousness conscious. And so when he's dealing with you in relationship to an attitude, a behavior, or anything going on in your life, he's dealing with you on the basis of that is not who you are. That's his attitude towards you. It's not who you are. Why are you doing that? That's not who you are. He's not going, oh, that's not what he's doing. That's a false perspective. That is a false paradigm that the church holds. It is not the New Testament model. It's not. It's not. I'll show you in a minute. So religion says sinner. Kingdom says saint. Religion says servant. Kingdom says son, daughter. Religion says natural. Kingdom says supernatural. See the difference? Church, by and large, is locked in this viewpoint. I'm telling you now. Sinners saved by grace. Repentance, repentance, repentance. I'm all for repentance. I'm all for returning areas of my life back to Jesus. I'm all for raising up higher and seeing it differently. I'm all for shifting in my perspectives. I'm all for that. But God is not left. It is an insult to continually call myself a sinner when God himself has called me a saint. It is an insult to call myself and continually deal with my life on the basis of sin when God is not dealing with me on that basis at all. Romans 6, consider yourselves, reckon yourselves dead to sin. That's what it tells us. You're dead to it. That person's dead. God doesn't recognize that person anymore. You are a new creation in Christ. Is that true or is it not? Are you who you've never been or are you the same person that's just got a little glory on them and hoping to make it and eke across the aisle when, when, when heaven comes? I mean, which one are you? Again, you've got to see yourself in light of your perspective. And here's the deal. We get into ego. Well, I don't know if I'm that. You didn't make you that. You didn't call you that. God calls you that and you get the opportunity to practice it. You get the opportunity to learn how to live in light of righteousness. You get the opportunity to learn how to live in light of being a son and a daughter. I'm a son right now. I don't look like a son. I don't feel like a son. I, I am. But, what I, but, but, but it just is a fact. So whether that is a reality in my life or not is not the issue. It is a truth. Truth and reality are separate concepts, Christian. Truth and reality are separate concepts. Truth requires you to press your reality into it until that truth becomes your reality. That is the essence of the Christian. You are born again. You're saved. You woke up this morning. You didn't feel saved. But the Bible says if you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are saved. 
Period. I don't feel saved. That's a, that doesn't matter what you feel. That's your reality. But the, the, the truth is you are born again. This is how it works. We have to press our realities into truth until truth becomes the reality. Reason, logic, rationale are part of our makeup, but they are never to lead us. People can't hear the Lord because it doesn't, it doesn't make rational sense. I don't believe Jesus is, I don't believe the prophetic word is for today. Why? Because it doesn't seem logical. It doesn't seem rational at all. I don't believe healing is for today. Why? Because it just doesn't seem rational. It doesn't seem logical. Have you read your Bible? Can somebody tell me a rational, logical event where God did something that was within the realm of human logic? If you're going to take a city, I'm not, you wouldn't take your army and tell them to be quiet and walk around it every day. Right? And then on the seventh day, you walk around seven times, blow a trumpet, and everybody shouts. That wouldn't be your model of taking a city, would it? That doesn't seem logical. That doesn't seem rational at all. Can we talk about Moses? Can we talk about Joshua? We talk about all of the stories of the scripture where God did something. Gideon, here's one. You're outnumbered four to one. There's four times more enemies than you have with you. And you tell everybody, if you're afraid, the Lord says, if anybody here has fear in your heart, you can go home. And like 40% of them leave. You, you wouldn't hold that model, would you? That wouldn't seem logical or rational. It wouldn't seem rational. Here's my favorite. I love the way Gideon fought. It's like you got to go back and read the story. Did God actually tell him to fight like that? The army's going to fight with a pitcher. There's a lamp inside of a pitcher. Everybody doesn't get a sword. You don't get a spear. You don't even get a shield. You get a clay pot with a lamp inside of it and a stick. Woohoo! How many of you would be buying into that leadership model? Gideon comes and says, I've heard from the Lord. We are going to vanquish our enemies. What? Everybody cheers. Yes! And here's how it's going to happen. Come on, give me a little closer. Wait for it. I'm going to give you a lamp and a clay pot. And Sam over here is going to hand you a stick. That's how it's going to work. And we're going to be like, okay, we're going to stand on a hill and we're going to shout, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And then we're all going to break the pots and God's going to give us the victory. Does that seem logical to you? Does that seem rational to you? Yet somehow we think that God is logic and in our rationale. And if it's not in the realm of logic, or if it's not in the realm of rationale, well, then it couldn't possibly be Jesus. Logic and rationale are given to us. But what logic and rationale are given to, they are to follow, never to lead. We are led by revelation. We are led by faith. And we are led by truth. And when we go forth by faith, by revelation and truth, we encounter reality of God. And then we look back and go, wow, now I understand. Now it all makes sense. That's what your logic and rationale is to do, is to relate it for after the fact, not before the fact. You get it? So when you look back and you go, wow, now I understand why Jesus told me to do it that way. Now it makes sense to me. Logic, rationale, and human, human thought follow and not lead. Very important. Very important. Next slide. What is to lead us? Faith, wisdom, truth, and revelation. We are, that's how the Christian is led. The Christian is led by faith, which is trusting in what the Lord has said, his promises. We are led by wisdom, which is the divine word of God. We are led by truth, which is, again, the reality of God. And we are led by revelation. 
Revelation is a revealed thing or a revealed word that is given to you in a manner by which you can understand it. Revelation is universal and revelation is individual. This is why we have to grow as believers. So as we grow as believers, our revelation grows. God now has the capacity to show you higher things because your ability to see has risen. We're limited in our revelation because we're, rim- we're limited in our, in our perspectives. When you're led by faith, wisdom, then God will show you. He will reveal something to you in light of his wisdom, in light of his truth, and in light of, his, in light of your faith. And he'll reveal something to you to do or to understand. That's how it works. That's what we're led by. And nine out of ten times, his revelation makes no sense. Makes no sense at all. And a lot of times, Jesus will tell you to do something that is completely foolish to you. Because he wa- what does he want? He wants humility. He wants you to practice humility, and he wants you to practice obedience, and he wants you to practice faith. That's how he works with his leaders, Christian. Read your Bible. It's there. That's exactly how he deals with his people. God is not working on areas of sin. He's working to bring you into identity. This will free 99.9% of you that think that God is only interested in your sin. I was raised that way. I was taught that way. And I became born again at a very young age. And in my teenage years, I kept giving up on Christianity because I couldn't do it. Anybody with me? I couldn't do it. And that's when my life's verses, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's because I discovered I couldn't do it. And Jesus was like, because without me, you can't do it, Kevin. And not without just me, the atmosphere, but without my, without my spirit. And when we think that God is sin conscious and he's constantly looking for areas of your life of where you're sin. He's like, a, like he's just... Checking around, looking up on you. He's not looking for that. He's calling out your identity. He's looking into areas of your life that are not in line with your identity so he can give you an upgrade. He wants to upgrade you. Your attitude is not conducive to your identity, Kevin. I need you to work on this attitude. Okay? It's a consistency. It's a pattern. It's, he deals with patterns within our life. What is the consistent pattern? Because perfection is a little out of our touch as humans. Can we agree with that? In other words, you're never going to be perfect. Never going to be perfect. We pretend like we're perfect, but we're not perfect. You're never going to be perfect. It's, say it with me. Christianity is about direction, not perfection. What is the arcing direction of your life? It's not about your perfection. You're already perfect. You're complete in him. Here's, here's in one here. God's not dealing with, with your sin. You don't believe me? He's dealing with identity. This is a huge one. Corinthians was what they call church gone wild. Christians gone wild. So we've got a bunch of born-again believers. They've given their life to Jesus, and they've encountered the Holy Spirit. And they're like, "Woo! we got the Spirit of God, man. They understood the spiritual gifts. They understood all of it. So here we have, if you want to look at Ephesus, you have a doctrinal church that's lacking spirit. If you want to look at Corinthians, they have a spiritual church that's lacking doctrine. So we have two different ones. Which one's right? Which one's wrong? Neither. They need to come come together, right? And so Corinth, Corinth was off the chain. They understood grace. Well, there's nothing that can condemn me. I can do whatever I want. And Paul said, should you sin now? You know, could righteousness come from sin? No. And then he goes on to him and he says, don't you understand? Because these people didn't leave their old identity. They were Christians now, but they were still doing and living as they were. And Paul is like, that's not the point. You're missing the point. And he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And here's a very classic scripture that's taught by a lot of churches right here. But they don't read the last verse. 
Read verse 11. Okay? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, selfish, thieves. That's all of us. That's every one of us. All right? We're all in this boat somewhere. Covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't you understand that? And this is what we do. We preach it. Don't you understand, people, that you can't, you know? And what does it say? And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. And so what Paul is doing is he's telling them, stop operating out of the understanding of who you were. Understand who you are and live from that. This is what this, this is what's all about. They understood their liberty. They understood a lot of things, but they never they understood. They didn't understand transformation. They didn't understand that they're no longer drunkards. God does not see you as a reviler. God does not see you as an extortioner. God does not see you as a fornicator. God does not see you in light of your sins. He sees you in light of who you are and who you are called to be. He's dealing with you in areas that are not in line with your identity, your behavior, your attitude, your language. So here's some questions for you. You ready? Everybody hold the chair. Challenging change. Is my thinking, this is a question, there's different arenas of your life, okay? There's your faith, there's your family, there's your finances, there's your future, there's your friendships. There's different arenas of your life. Each one of these arenas are called to be submitted under the Lordship of Christ. In other words, whatever that arena is, it's not your will, it's His. And there's Christians who have submitted their hearts unto Jesus, but there's other areas of their life that they refuse to give to the Lord. They are still masters in those arenas. Jesus wants Lordship over all things, and those, that is a progressive role of our, what's called sanctification, setting apart. So the Lord will begin to deal with you on your time. He'll begin to deal with you on your talent, your treasure, your money, your usage of all of the things. The way you treat people, the way you operate in relationships. He'll begin to deal with you on your destiny and your future, all things in time. But this is how he's dealing with you. And you have to submit it. We think we're, we think we're submitted just because Jesus is Lord of my spirit. He's Lord of my whole life. Oh, contraire. <laughs> and you know that's not true either, don't you? You know who rules. <laughs> well, we're called to yield and submit ourselves into these areas, into the lordship of Jesus. So is my lifestyle, is my language, is my thinking in line with heavens? Pick, a, pick an area. What is the overall direction of my life? Pick an area. Is it in line with heaven's vision? Is it, and if it is not, then you need to get the heavenly vision. Paul says in the book of Acts, he says, I think myself happy because I've been true to the heavenly vision. Do you even know the heavenly vision? How We need to understand what the heavenly vision is and become true to that. That's what we need to do. What lies am I believing? This is huge. Here we go. All the spiritual cows are going to go, no. We're believers in truth. But we believe just as many lies as we do truths as Christians. We believe lies about the Lord. We believe lies about ourselves. We believe lies about our future. We believe lies. Some would call them inceptions. There's incepted lies that have been placed in you for, uh, from a very, from variety of sources. And when you confront the lie that is in opposition to the truth of God, the Bible says that is a high thing that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God, and it must be torn down. Where are the lies in your life? Do you believe God won't bless you? Who told you that? Do you believe there's no hope for you? Who told you that? Do you believe you're always going to be the way that you've always been? Who told you that? 
What, what lies are you believing that prevent his operation in your life? He's only going to work to the limitations of your understanding. You've got to confront that lie. You've got to remove those lies. You've got to deal heart directly with them. And you've got to conform your thinking into the opposite of what that lie has been telling you. Yeah. You believe that God's not a loving God? Who told you that? Do you believe God's not a forgiving God? Who told you that? Do you believe God's out to get you? Who told you that? Those are lies. Do you not believe that God is good? Do you not believe that he's working favorably on your behalf? Do you not believe that he is for you even when you're against yourself? What are the lies that you believe? You have to confront them and not ignore them. And you have to let the Holy Spirit, you, we, let's just pray right now. Let's ask the Holy Spirit. Do you know what the Holy Spirit's going to do? He's going to do what you ask him. Because he works by your permission. Just say, Holy Spirit, reveal in me in every area the lies that I believe that are withholding the truth, the revelation, the purpose, and the power in my life. He's going to point. He's going to poke you. He's going to show you. Believe in a lie there. Believe in a lie. Shouldn't say that. Shouldn't do that. Shouldn't think that way. He's going to start poking you. I'm telling you. What lies are you believing? Next slide. Ephesians says, put off the old, put on the new. This is, again, a principle of spiritual understanding. We've got to understand how the spirit world works. We're spiritual people or we're nothing, guys. We're the Moose Lodge. Without the Holy Spirit, I'm serious. We're the Kiwanis Club. We're, we're, we're nothing. We're just a social club with a, gathered around a system of beliefs without the power of God. Paul told the people do not, that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the what? Starts with a P, ends with an R. The power of God. That your faith would not be rooted simply in words and wisdoms, but in power. And God says, put off the old and put on the new. The spiritual world works by agreement. What you partner with is what you will manifest. It is a reality. As a man thinks in their heart, what? So are they. What you partner with is what will be made known. That's why the enemy is trying to incept lies. Do you know why? He's not looking to get a lie for a lie's sake. He's trying to get an agreement. Don't you understand that? He's not just trying to lie to you just to lie to you. He, with Adam and Eve, it wasn't a lie that he was trying to tell. He was trying to get them to come into an agreement, and he did. And what happened? They agreed with him, and everything shifted. We agree with heaven. We partner with heaven. We refuse at nothing apart from what God says. This is who we are. We're believers. And you say, well, that's not my reality, Kevin. Well, why don't you press into truth until it becomes your reality? It's really uncomfortable. Keep pressing in. That's why that's, there's, a, there's a word called breakthrough. And if you know that, breakthrough. Breakthrough means you get through, right? The number seven, we see it oftentimes in the Bible. Naaman dipped seven times in the Jordan. It's not the number. It mean, the number seven means completion. It means Naaman dipped in that river until his flesh was clean. That's what it means. Elijah sent the servant to pray seven times for rain. It's not the number. It means he sent the servant there as many times as he could, as many times as necessary, until he saw the hand of God break through the atmosphere. Do you understand that? It's not a number. There was no rain in the land. God told him, Elijah, at your word, I will release rain. That was a promise. He told him that. Elijah, when you pray, when you ask for it, I'm going to release rain. Well, Elijah didn't stand on a mountain and go, Lord, release the rain. And it just didn't happen. 
He kept praying and interceding, and he sent the servant and said, go look. And he, no, nothing yet. And he prayed and interceded, and he sent the servant and said, go look. No, not yet. And he did it and prayed and sent the servant, and the servant did what he was told until the cloud appeared as what? What was the cloud, Christian? You're going to know this story if you come to this church. It was the hand of God. He prayed until the hand of God broke through the atmosphere. Do you have that level of diligence? I mean, we pray 30 seconds, and if Jesus doesn't answer, we're ready to quit. Right? We pray and contend until it happens. Naaman dipped seven times. He did it as many times as was necessary. It was an embarrassment to Naaman. He was a Syrian lord. And he had to strip off his armor. He had to strip off all of his outer trappings. He had to strip off his identity. He had to strip off the opinions and expose himself to the opinions of his peers. And the Lord was like, how bad does he want it? Does he want it bad enough to to embarrass himself? Does he want it bad enough or does he really think, is he really locked in to what other people are going to think of him? Because I've said it in front of him. It's right there. Do you want it, Naaman? Well, I don't want it like that. Well, then go your way. He complained. Aren't there other Jordans, aren't there other rivers in Syria that I can dip in? You're going to make me dip in this dirty water and you're going to make me expose my leprosy to this people that I, that I lead? And he did. His servant told him, if the Lord would have told you something great, you would have done it. If he would have told you to conquer a city, you would have done it. Whatever he would have told you that was great, you would have been all in. Why are, you, why are you pushing back on such a small thing? And so he took off his armor, stripped off who he was, who the world said he was. Huh? Dipped in the water. Dipped in the water. Dipped in the water until it came to pass. He did it until it completed. This is what we don't understand about spirituality. You have to break through. And what you break into becomes yours. Do you understand that? Our generation, you can confess Jesus and you can have a spiritual encounter with Christ and receive forgiveness of sins and experience it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you woke up the next day, you could see colors and you could hear birds singing. You're born again. You felt clean. You could sing and dance like never before. You didn't know what happened to you, but something happened to you. You know what that's called? That's called a miracle. And that's called a sign and a wonder. But that wasn't always the case. If you read the writings of the early church, after the Dark Ages, because there was a whole period of nonsense that went on, the churches had to pray continually. And Christians would confess Christ and sometimes pray for weeks before they had a spiritual encounter. Because that gen- a generation needed to break through, and now we receive the breakthrough of a previous generation. These are keys to the kingdom. These are keys that God, the devil does not want the church to understand. He does not want the church to understand the principles of breakthrough. He does not. Because when you break through, it belongs to you. It's yours. You're not, an, you're not a visitor. It's yours. And so we ride upon these things. And so we break in. We break in. We push forward into the things that God has said. I don't know if this is making sense to any of y'all. But all right. This is what it's about, man. I don't need a religion. I can sit home and I don't need to be miserable. I was telling the Lord the other day, we don't need to be broke. We can be broke on our own. We don't need Jesus to be broke. I don't know about you. I do a pretty good job of that on my own. I don't need Jesus to be lonely and hopeless. We can do that on our own. We break into the reality comes upon the people. He has promised. He has promised. We see latter rain now. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Come to school of the prophetic, you will learn to be prophetic. We will teach you the correctness, the context, and how to do it. You can. We lay hands on the sick and see them recovered all the time. You bat a thousand? No, but we're pressing in to bat a thousand. We see it all the time. Mickey was just telling me about a guy with diabetes. Had his toe was black. Him and Selena went and prayed for him. The color of the toe completely changed. They were going to amputate it. Come on. Oh, I don't believe that. That doesn't make logic or rational sense. Because it's supernatural, Christian. This healing is the children's bread. The power belongs to the believer. I tell you this story. I prayed for the sick, man. A friend tells me the story, all these crazy healing stories that has happens through his life. And I go to the Lord. Okay, I don't know. Maybe you guys are more spiritual than me. I actually believe in healing and have, was raised in the context of that. A lot of the church doesn't believe in it. And because we make doctrinal excuses for our lack of courage and our lack of perseverance. We create beds of comfort that we can lie in, requiring nothing of ourselves except to stand back and point fingers. So my friend would pray for 200 people a week, he would say. I heard him. And the Lord says to me, have you prayed for 200 people a week, Kevin? Maybe if you prayed for for the sick 200 people at a time, maybe you'd see some miracles too. And you know what I did? I said, like Job, I put my hand over my mouth. Some of you guys, you need to put your hand over your mouth because you speak as fools. And that's what Job did. Job had a lot to say until the Lord showed up. And Job said, I speak as a fool. I put my hand over my mouth. And that's what I told the Lord. I put my hand over my mouth. I speak as a fool. Spiritual world is about agreement and exchange. If the old life is leading you, Christian, get a new leader. Is the old life leading you? Change leaders. Put your new identity on. Put off the old. Put on the new. And lead your life from who you are in Christ. I don't know what I'm doing. Nobody does. Welcome to the real world. Nobody does. We practice it. We practice it. We learn from one another. If your thinking is, is your thinking is, is Speaking, I don't know what I was trying to say there, but if you're thinking, if you're thinking is peaking, switch conversation. If your thinking is not correct, if your thinking is not creating what it is and change the conversation, if the way that you're speaking is not producing the, the, the righteousness of God or not producing the things that you want, then change the way that you speak. You're going to have to speak into things that are not as they would seem to be. You're going to have to call hope into hopeless situations. You're going to have to call life into lifeless situations. You're going to have to call something out of something that is not happening at the moment. When you're going to confess and you're going to declare the things of God, it is never going to be, you're not going to call what is not as though it is. You're not going to call it from that point. You're going to have to, you're going to probably be standing in a place of darkness and you're going to be calling forth light. You're probably going to be standing in a place of hopelessness and you're going to be calling forth hope. Do you get the picture? It's contrasted. We shift the atmosphere. We have that power. This is what the Lord has given to us. It's ours. You should play around with it. You really should. You should practice the presence. We talk about R&D and and production, research and development. They don't expect everything to be perfect. Anybody here ever work in R&D? You expect things to fail. You expect things, not everything's going to succeed. But what you're doing in your research and development is you are learning. And what you learn, you log. And what you log now becomes part of a production model. 
Church is all about production, but we're not about research and development. We have to practice the presence of God. We have to practice the Spirit of God. The scroll that was here doesn't have the Holy Spirit. It just annoys me. Because it was my former church that she was going to. And that annoys me. That really annoys me. Not me, but the church I was an assistant pastor at. She, she, she comes from that church, and she said that to me. I said, you've never felt the Spirit of God? Never experienced the Spirit of God? I told her, you need to learn to soak. You need, and we laid hands on her, and she began to feel it. I go, do you feel that? She's like, wow, I feel like my chest is opening up. And there's other things that were going on nonetheless. But she needs to learn to practice the presence. She's hungry for something. She wants something, and it's there. And she has to press in. It's hers. It's hers. Just no one's ever told her how to get it. You know, she's like, I want to feel the love of God. I just want to know God's love. I just want to feel his love. Anyway, I'm going to go quick. Fingerprints of a new identity, 1 Peter 2, 8, 9, 10, says, you are say it with me. I'm a chosen generation. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. I am part of the Lord's own special people. I am called to proclaim his praises. I am not in darkness. I am in marvelous light. I once was not a people, but now I am part of the people of God. I once did not have mercy, but now I've obtained mercy. So here's five quick fingerprints for you. Number one, you're chosen. This is your identity. You're chosen. His acceptance overcomes all rejection. You didn't choose you. Jesus chose you. And when you accepted Christ as Lord, you became fully chosen. He's chosen the whole world, but the whole world is not saved. Only those who give their hearts to Christ come into that chosen concept. Even though Jesus died for the world, that is true. But not all will RSVP. You don't RSVP, you ain't getting in the door, people. You say, he invited me. Yeah, but did you didn't RSVP. Sorry. RSVP, your name's on the list. His acceptance overcomes all rejection. Doesn't matter what you think of you. Doesn't matter what the world thinks of you. Doesn't matter what anybody thinks of you. Jesus loves you. Amen. I used to tell myself that all the time. You know, Jesus, that's where it comes from. Jesus is for you even when you're against yourself. <laughs> he loves you even when you don't love you. And you didn't make him love you. So one of your fingerprints is you're chosen. You must not believe and see yourself any other way. You're chosen by him. We were a chosen generation, and here's the big picture. You were chosen in your generation. That speaks to your destiny. We are here with a purpose, on purpose, with a purpose. Chosen in our generation to manifest the glory within our generation and for future generations. Isaiah 58, raising up the foundations of many generations. This is what we are to do. How do we do that? Well, that's a bigger question. Stick around. Next slide, please. <laughs> Lots of questions here. Okay? Next slide. All right, so we're going to go down here. So we're chosen. So we're chosen. We're, we're a holy priesthood. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So we're royal. Okay? We're holy, which means we're clean, which means we're valuable. We're chosen to be before him in love. We have a predetermined destiny. Having a predestination as adoptions as sons and daughters, Ephesians 1.4 said. Could it be that your destiny is directly, directly linked to your understanding of yourself being a son and daughter before the Lord? Could it be that your predetermined destiny is directly linked to that understanding? Could be. That's what that verse says. You have a predetermined destiny to be a son and a daughter. Your destiny manifests when you begin to understand that you actually are a son and daughter. Predetermined destiny to do what? 
God has called you to himself and he wants to celebrate you. You're the object of his favor. You're chosen to be holy and clean. You're chosen to be sons and daughters. You're chosen to be celebrated. He celebrates you. Say it with me. Nothing fair about favor. You are the object of his blessing. It is what he does all day, every day, is seek in a way to bless you. Your royal priesthood. What does that mean? Priest minister. How are we to minister as Christians? Upward unto the Lord. Downward from the Lord. Okay? Outward unto the culture and withward towards one another. This is how a priest ministers. Is who you are. Learn to minister unto the Lord. Learn to receive ministry from him. Practice the presence. Learn to minister to the culture. Take what God has given you and get, do something with it. And learn to minister one to the other. Next slide. I'll do more of this in second service. You're holy, which means you're valuable and you're clean. There's no guilt. There's no shame on you. Who put shame on you? Who said shame on you? Jesus didn't say shame on you. There's no guilt and shame on you. You're holy and you're clean. Holy describes worth. Where does value come from? Value comes from who owns it and the price that's willing to be paid for it. So who owns you? Jesus. So you're pretty valuable. And nobody hiring Jesus. And he owns you. He calls you his own. So you're valuable. And what price did he pay for you? He couldn't pay any higher. He gave everything he has. You have to see yourself as valuable, not in light of you, but in light of him. And you have to present yourself and say, Lord, I don't know what you see in me, but you value me. And therefore, because you value me, I give myself fully to you. That is the greatest honor you can pay him. Is by giving, returning to him the worth that he has put upon you. You belong. You were once not a people, but now you are. You once didn't have a name, but now you do. You once didn't have a place, but now you do. You once didn't have an identity, now you do. You didn't just have a destiny, but now you do. We are belong to the people of God. And here's the big hinge point for the last point here. Okay? You are subjects of heaven's kingdom. You are not subject of man's kingdom. So what does that mean? To the degree that you interact with heaven's kingdom is to the degree that heaven will be, the kingdom of heaven will be known to you. To the degree that you neglect heaven's kingdom is to the degree that you, there will be neglect in your life. You are symbiotically bound to the kingdom of heaven. God has principles and practices by which every Christian is to enter into. This isn't just make it up as you go along. Read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. There's the radical five. Well, I don't like three of them. Well, guess what? Heaven will not manifest in those arenas unless you do. It's just the truth. You are bound to heaven's kingdom. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. If you will not enter into those areas, they will not, heaven will not come. But the good news is, is that every single area of your life can be transformed by the glory and the kingdom of God if you are willing to partner with him. Mercy. What does it mean? A covenant of loyalty. That's what that means in the Hebrew and in the Greek, excuse me. In the Greek, the word mercy here is not charis. It's not even the word love. It's an elus word, and it means covenant of loyalty. God has put a covenant of loyalty on you. You know what it means? It means you can't screw it up. Come on, help me out, Alex. You can't screw it up. Well, that's not, I don't know, man. Pastor's been telling me I've got to come down and repent 20 times a month. If I really need to show Jesus I'm sorry... I need to just shed tears all over the altar. You can't screw it up. You can't. Abraham's the same covenant of Abraham. 
God bound a covenant with Abraham that was not based upon him. Abraham was asleep when Jesus cut the covenant with him. What's it mean? You're sleeping, dude. It ain't about you. I'm going to do this whether you're awake or whether you're asleep. I'm going to do it. He has put mercy on your life, which is a covenant of loyalty. And you know what it looks like? If you are faithless, he is faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Even if you don't do your end, he's going to do his because he will forever be loyal. He is faithful and just to forgive you. If you confess, he's going to cleanse all of the areas of your life and set you back in right alignment. He doesn't say you're going to get you saved again. He's going to align you back up in the area that you went off course in. That's how this works. Say it with me. I can't screw it up. You can't. You can't. This is biblical doctrine. This is not church dogma. This is, the, we are, this is why grace is such a radical concept. It's not about you. He loves you. And when you get that, you won't run from him. You'll run to him. Because there's nothing you can do to mess it up. He's always for you. Always. 100, 1,000% of the time, he's for you. Do you believe that? Yes. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your truth is here. Let it be made known. Root it into the word, into the hearts of the people. Draw them deeper to yourself. Let your word not return void, but we just declare that it prospers where you have sent it. We thank you for it. I just speak your blessing, God, upon these people for your goodness and for your glory and over my own life as well. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.